I have not my own. I've been bought with a price. And I'm bound for heaven. Amen? Amen. Last week we started a new series. And in it we reintroduced ourselves to a character named Lucifer. Now today we more commonly know him and call him by the name Satan or the devil. But as we discovered last week, he was originally created by God as an angel. He was originally created as a cherub angel, one of the highest ranking angels. In fact, he was at one time the highest ranking angel in heaven. But at some time, for some reason that we really don't understand, evil was found in him. And he wanted a promotion. And there was only one place that he could go, and that would be to usurp the throne of God. And that's exactly what he tried to do. He, gathering a third of the angels of heaven, staged a coup against God. Coup didn't last but a brief second. And God brought judgment, and he cast Satan, and he cast a third of the angels who rebelled with him out of heaven, down to earth. And those angels now exist as the demon angels. Now of this angel, Lucifer, Jesus said in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil. There's no truth in him. He says of him, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Jesus said of Lucifer, you can't trust him. Whenever he's talking, you can bet it's a lie because lying is his native tongue. It's his native language. He's a liar and the father of all lies. And we know that he's lying to us today. And so in this series, what we are wanting to unmask is Satan's most believable lies. Satan has had a lot of time to practice on man. And Satan knows how to make his lies sound logical. He knows how to make himself convincing. He knows how to make his lies sound even attractive and appealing. And therefore, we have fallen for his lies over and over and over again. Some of us are falling for his lies even as we sit here today. So let's uncover these lies. Lie number one. God is a cosmic Killjoy. God just wants to rob all joy from life. God is a control freak and he just wants to control mankind. He wants to put commandments on mankind and regulations on mankind. And he just wants to oppress mankind and just take all the joy out of life. He's a cosmic killjoy. So prevalent is this lie that even Hollywood recognizes it. Stella and I were kind of watching TV a little bit last weekend in a rare moment when we got down to sit together. And I came in the room. She was already kind of had stopped on this channel. And it was a movie starring Keanu Reeves. And I'm glad we only saw the TV edition of it, by the way. But in this movie, Keanu Reeves played a lawyer. And he was recruited by some high-brow firm in New York City. And they actually sought him out, recruited him, enticed him to come and join the firm. Well, once he did, all kinds of bad things start happening in his life. Well, in the dramatic conclusion of the movie, 
Keanu Reeves discovers that the senior partner in this law firm is also his biological father, who he's not known his entire life. His mother had conceived him when she was very young, and he had never had his father in his life. And he finds out that this senior partner in the law firm is indeed his father, and his father is played by Al Pacino. As the plot twists a little bit more, he discovers that not only is this guy his father, but the guy is actually Satan himself. And so as his father, Satan, is trying to lure his son over to the dark side, he begins to rant against God. Who are you carrying all those bricks for anyway? God? Is that it? God? Well, I tell you, let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this extraordinary gift, and then what does he do? I swear, for his own amusement, his own private cosmic gag reel, he sets the rules in opposition. It's the goof of all time. Look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste, don't swallow. <laughs> and while you're jumping from one foot to the next, what is he doing? He's laughing. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that never. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, is that it? Why not? I'm here on the ground with my nose in it since the whole thing began. I've nurtured every sensation man has been inspired to have. I cared about what he wanted, and I never judged him. Why? Because I never rejected him, in spite of all his imperfections. I'm a fan of man! I'm a fan of man. There's two lies within the one lie. Number one is that God is not a fan of man. That God uses man as a toy. That, that he sets up all kinds of enticing enjoyments of life and then forbids man to enjoy them. And he's up there laughing at man's frustration. On the other hand, Satan in the same line is saying, but I'm not like God. I, I, I've been in the mix since the very beginning. I've been down here on earth since it all started. And I've been down here mixing it up with man. And I've never judged man. I've never put any commandments on man. I've been here. I'm a fan of man. I want man to enjoy life. You only go around once. God's a cosmic killjoy. Now it was this very lie that set the course of history that has brought in all the chaos into our lives that we now suffer from. For in the book of Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent appeared to Eve in the garden, Satan in the form of a serpent, he said, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? <laughs> Are you kidding, Eve? <laughs> Isn't it just like God? Don't you realize who you're dealing with here, Eve? 
Uh, you, you Look at all this. Look at all the splendor. Look at all that ripe fruit. Look at all this in the garden. You mean to tell me that God said you can't have any of it? See, Satan starts with an exaggeration. You can't have any of it. That's really what God said, huh? Now, give me credit to Eve. She responds with what God actually said. In verse 2 of Genesis chapter 3, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. He said, no, that's not true. God, God said we can eat from all the trees in the garden, but there's one in the middle of the garden that he says we can't eat. But then, without even taking a breath, we see Eve take one step towards falling victim to the lie of Satan. For without even taking a breath, she continues to say that God said, and you must not touch it or you'll die. See, she's taking a step towards believing this lie that God is a cosmic killjoy. No, he didn't say we couldn't eat of all the fruit. We can eat of it all. There's one tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat of. And in fact, if we even touch it, God said we'll die. God never said that. God never said that at all. But in striving to create some legalistic standard that God never established, she began to fall victim to Satan's lie. And we know how the story ends, don't we? When the truth of the matter is, God said that they could eat of all the trees of the garden. God said, here it is. I've created it. Look at how splendid it is. Look how magnificent it is. Look at all the fruit. Look at all the vegetables. Look at everything. It's all yours. I put you in dominion over it. You can have it all. One tree. One tree. Out of all of this, one tree. Don't eat of it. See, the moral formula of Eden is this. One prohibition against hundreds and hundreds of thousands of permissions. Now here's Satan's trick. Satan's trick is to to take the permissions of God and turn them into prohibitions. For example, sex. Satan takes sex and he says to us, God gave you sex and told you you can't enjoy it? (laughs) Really, God created this amazingly exciting human experience filled with sensuality and and, and filled with with mystery and, and, and filled with physical pleasure. God really created all that? And he said, you can't do it. You can't enjoy it. God never said that at all. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 13:4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. What does that mean? It says that you can do anything you want in your bed. It's undefiled. It's okay with God. It has God's sanction. It has God's blessing. One tree. Do it in marriage. Do it in marriage. Now, Satan right away would say that. There you go. God's cause to kill joy. Craig's this great thing called sex. He tells you you can only enjoy it with one other person. That's just like God. God's a cosmic kill joy. 
1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Is there a prohibition? Yeah. God says, enjoy sex in marriage. Inside marriage, have a ball. Do it every day. Do it ten times a day. Do it all you want in marriage. But the prohibition is not an act of a killjoy. The prohibition is an act of grace, an act of protection. See, because when we get outside the bonds of marriage and get involved sexually, it ushers all kinds of negative things into our lives. It ushers guilt. It ushers shame. It ushers regret. It ushers social complications. It ushers in relational complications. It ushers in physical and medical complications outside of the created guidelines. Promiscuous sexuality always results in regret. Satan says, God gave you alcohol and drugs and then forbade you to enjoy them too? Isn't that just like God? He allows you to discover how the grape ferments and then he tells you you're not allowed to do it. And it's just like God. He allows you to discover that drugs will, will help relieve pressure from your mind and, and, and relieve pain from your mind and, and then he tells you you're not allowed to use it. Isn't that just like God? See, you got to know who you're dealing with here in this God character. He's a killjoy. All he wants to do is sit up there and laugh at your frustration to all the stimulus he has put in the world. But in fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, the actual prohibition, it says, do not get drunk on wine. That's the prohibition. Do not get drunk on wine. Why? Because it leads to debauchery. It's not good for you. Picture of a young lady with her face in the toilet, puking after a drunken binge. Now, there's a sight that would motivate a young single man to pull out the ring and bow down and say, Will you marry me? You're the kind of woman I want to live my life with. Here's the kind of scene that would gain social opportunity for her. It's a debauchery. It brings us down. It demeans us. It robs us of our character. It robs us of our te- integrity. It robs us of our reputations. It leads to debauchery. Do you realize there's 700,000 uh, accidents that involve injuries due to alcohol-related driving accidents every year? Do you understand that there's 25 thousand deaths, fatalities related to an alcohol on the roads every year. That is 500 alcohol related deaths every single week. That is 70 alcohol related deaths every single day. They've linked homelessness in most people to one of three causes. One is mental illness. And a family who, who's not taking care of that person with that challenge. 
But the highest percentage of people who end up homeless end up homeless in large part because of the negative influence of alcohol and drugs in their lives. Do you realize that 85% of the men and women who are in prison today are there in part to some act they committed while under the influence of alcohol or drugs? Satan says, God's a cosmic killjoy. He gives you all this wonderful thing that can make you feel high and make you feel excited and, and, and make you feel good and, and, and relieve the pain of the numbness of life and the monotony of life. Isn't it just like God? He gives it to you and then he tells you, don't use it. God's a cosmic killjoy. And see, that's what Satan does with so many areas of our life. He turns all the permissions of God into prohibitions. Yeah, that church, they want all your time. They, God only gives you so much time and you've got to work with part of it and then the rest of it, all oh, that church wants all your time. They want you down there serving. They want you down there doing this. They want you down there doing that. Isn't that just like God? He only gives you so much time and then he wants it all. Isn't it just like God? He gives you money and then he says, you've got to give 10% back to me. Ah, it's just like God. He's a cosmic killjoy. Isn't it just like God got you that great job? And now he's standing in the way and you can't go up that corporate ladder. Ain't it just like God? Over and over in so many areas of our lives. God is a cosmic killjoy. He is laughing at you. He's toying with you. He's controlling you. All for his own amusement. That's who you're dealing with in God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6.12, for those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says all things are permissible for us. But what's it say? But not everything's beneficial. Yeah, we are no longer accountable for our sins. Our sin issue has been taken care of by Jesus Christ when he sacrificed himself on the cross. But that doesn't mean that everything in life is beneficial to us, to our peace, to our health, to our relationships, to our sanity, to our relationship with God. All things are permissible. What's it say? I'll not be mastered by anything. I'll not re-enslave myself to any behavior. I'll not re-enslave myself to any relationship. I'll not re-enslave myself to Satan. That's a choice that we make. Satan promises pleasure. I'm a fan of man. But he only delivers pain. Let me tell you how Satan works. Satan works like ancient Eskimos when they were hunting Arctic wolves. When an ancient Eskimo wanted to hunt an Arctic wolf, here's what he'd do. He'd take his knife... And he'd sharpen the blade of that knife to a razor's edge. And then he'd kill some other animal that was easy to catch. And he would dip that knife blade in the blood of that animal. And he'd stick the knife blade outside the igloo. And it would freeze on the knife blade. Then he'd take the knife blade again, he'd dip it back in the blood of that animal. And set it out and let it freeze again. And what he would do is he would build up layer after layer of frozen blood on the knife blade. 
And when he had enough blood on the knife blade, what he would do is he would go out and he would secure the, the, the handle of that knife firmly in the ground. And he'd just walk away from it. Well, what would happen is an arctic wolf would sniff out the blood and would come and start licking that blood, that frozen blood. And the more that he got the taste of that blood, the more insatiable his hunger was to get more of it. And he would continue licking and licking. And as he licked the frozen blood, his tongue would become numb. And soon he had licked through all the frozen, frozen blood on the knife blade, but he was still hungry for blood and would continue to lick the blade with his numb tongue and now begin to slice up his own tongue and drink his own blood. Soon the wolf would succumb to a loss of blood and either become too weak to move or bleed out and die, and all the Eskimo had to do was come by and pick up the carcass. That's exactly what Satan does. Satan puts a knife blade of pleasure out there, some stimulus, and he lets us sniff it. And we go out and lick it. And it does something for us. Because if sin didn't do something, if sin was not enjoyable at all, it would not be an issue in our life. But it provides us something. Maybe it provides us a momentary zip of excitement. Maybe it provides some numbness to the, to the oppressing life challenges that are facing us. It, it provides something. And we lick that. We go, oh, that was good. But I shouldn't do that. But then pretty soon... We're lonely again, or we're numb again, or, or we just want to break the monotony of our routine and go back and lick it again. This time, keep licking it a little bit. Mmm, that's good. That's good. See, that's exactly what James said in his epistle when James 1, verse 13 through 15 said, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, what we do is we keep coming back to that that blade. And nothing happens. God doesn't immediately judge us and he doesn't slam us over the head with some kind of cosmic two by four. So we, this is good. This is good. We're dragged away of our own evil desire. I, I want to get rid of this numbness. I want to medicate this pain. I, I, I want to have a little zip in my life. I want to just try it. I want to experience it all. And pretty soon we've licked through the frozen blood, blood, and now we're licking our own blood. And before long, Satan has us right where he wants us, incapacitated by the loss of our own character, our integrity, our relationship with God, our relationship with our family, our relationship with our spouse. And we lie in a pool of our own blood. Look what the original prohibition in the garden was. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, 
But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now I want you to note very closely what that verse does not say. Because what it does not say is as important as what it does say. What does that verse not say? Let me tell you. The verse does not say the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm going to kill you. That's not what God said. God didn't say, you disobey me in this. You try me in this and you cross this line and you're going to be sorry. Because my wrath is going to fall down on you. And I am going to come into your life and I am going to destroy you. Doesn't say that at all. What it says is the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it will kill you. Not me, God says. That experience will. Yielding to that temptation will. See, what man didn't understand is man was not created to handle the knowledge of evil. Man did not want to have the knowledge of evil. Without the knowledge of evil, there was no problem in the relationship marriage. Without the problem of evil, there was no hospitals. There was no courtrooms. There was no jails. There was no prisons. There were no pharmacies. There was nothing because God put man in a perfect, safe, loving, thriving environment. And the only thing that could ruin it was eating the fruit from that one tree. God said, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Because that knowledge will destroy you. That knowledge will rob your joy. That knowledge will rob your peace. That knowledge will rob your integrity. It will rob your character. It will rob your relationship. Don't do it. Satan promises pleasure but delivers only pain. It's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief is Satan he's talking about here. He says that thief, he comes to steal. He comes to steal your joy, your integrity, the, the fidelity of your marriage. He comes to steal your happiness. He comes to steal your health. He comes to steal your success. He comes to steal your opportunity. All he is is a thief, Jesus said. And not only does he want to steal it all from you, in the process he wants to kill and destroy you. See, Satan's mad about what God's done for you. Because God's done something for you that he wouldn't do for Satan and the third of the angels of heaven when they rebelled against God. God gave us another chance. And Satan hates us. Because God loves us more than God loved him. God provides prohibitions to protect our peace. See, that's the difference. Satan promises pleasure but delivers only pain. God provides prohibition to protect us from pain. To protect our peace. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift 
is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift says what? Jesus comes down to us. Satan wants to make us believe it comes up to us from what he gives us. Romans 8, 31, 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He says, God has demonstrated his love, his intention toward us, and that he gave his only son to die on the cross for us. How can we believe that he is not the author of every good and every perfect gift. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now right away, somebody's going to say, Ah, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a condition there. There's a condition there. And Satan wants us to think that, He wants us to think, but you don't qualify. This is true, but you don't qualify. Because you're not blameless. And you know what? He's right. There's no man or woman here who could honestly and truthfully declare that you are blameless in the eyes of God. Not by your own behavior. But here's the key. John 6.37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. What does he say? He says, All that the Father gives me. What's he talking about? See, God is always at work. God is not a cosmic killjoy, but God's radar is always on. And he's always scoping the earth to find that man or that woman whose heart is tender-hearted towards the things of God and towards the offer of God to bring eternal forgiveness and and give the gift of eternal life to anyone who will trust in his Son as the only Savior of mankind. And Jesus said, once that happens, once God uses the Holy Spirit and draws that person, and they trust me, I'll never drive them away. I don't care what they've done in the past. I don't care what they do in the future. I'll never drive them away. They're blameless in my eyes. Now, you might be here today, and you've never done that. You might say, how can I get me some of that? Well, the Bible says in John 1.12, yet to as many as received him, To those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All God asks, to completely forgive you from every sin, every offense you've ever committed against him and man, and yourself, is that you receive Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. That you believe on his name alone, as the only one who has the authority to forgive your sin. And for anyone who will receive him and believe on him, the Bible says, God will make you one of his own children. I wonder, in what compartment of your life have you been licking the blade of Satan's lie. Is there a compartment in your life? Is there an area in your life? 
when you've been licking on that blade. Maybe it's some kind of flirtatious relationship at the office or in the neighborhood or in the school or even in the church. And that marriage you've been in just just don't have any zip anymore. And you're looking on the other side of the fence and thinking the grass is greener over there. Let me tell you, it's not. That's Satan over there. That's that blade in the snow with a layer of frozen blood. And he just wants you to start licking on it so that he can steal what's really valuable in your life and that's your your spouse and your family and the integrity of that marriage. Maybe that blade is alcohol. And you've been turned into it because life is tough right now. Life is challenging and if you drink enough of that alcohol, you lick, lick enough of that blade takes a little bit of that pain away. Maybe it's drugs. Look at that blade of drugs. It takes you out of the land of numb. And it makes you feel alive. If only for a short time. Maybe it's the blade of money. Maybe it's the blade of career advancement. Maybe it's the blade of fashion, the blade of popularity. Have you been licking the blade? Before you know it, and it will happen so subtly that you won't realize it, you'll be into that razor-sharp knife. And you'll be bleeding out yourself. And Satan is going to laugh. Because he's the cosmic killjoy. The Bible says we need to resist him. And how do we resist him? By standing firm in the faith. In fact, the book of James says that if we resist him, Satan will flee from us. He's a whip. He'll flee from us. But the condition is, submit then, therefore, to God. And then he'll flee. How about it? You've been looking on the blade? Are you believing Satan's lie? That God's a cosmic killjoy. Let's bow our heads. There's a liar in our presence today. You have to decide whether it's God or Lucifer. Who's lying to you? One of them seeks your destruction. One of them seeks your eternal glory. Who are you going to listen to? Stop licking the blade of Satan's lie. 
Maybe you're here today and you've been licking the blade of Satan's lie that you can live a good enough life to earn your way to heaven. That's a lie from the depths of hell. If that were true, Jesus Christ never needed to come to this earth. But in the fact that I can't earn my way to heaven, you can't earn your way to heaven, and God knew that, God had to do something for us, so he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And that's why only Jesus can say with authority, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I wonder if you're here today and you're trying to get there any other way than Jesus Christ in a personal relationship with Him. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You're still living under the penalty of your sins. Well, the good news is God brought you here to change that in your life. I wonder, well, no one's looking around. Believers, you're evaluating your life. And you're looking for an area where you might have been licking the blade of Satan's lie. But you're here today and you have a greater need because you've never trusted Christ. Well, no one's looking around. Just so I know whether there's somebody who has that need. Because right now the Holy Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit that you need it. That voice is talking to you. It's a soft voice. And you know it's talking to you. No one's looking around. Just so I know the needs here. Would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor Pete, that's me. I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've never trusted Him. Father, from the testimony of those here today, all of us have trusted You. And God, that puts us in an eternally secure position. That means that when we die... We can know that we're going to have eternal life. There's no question about that because of your gift of forgiveness. But God, that doesn't mean that we're living life in a way that's productive, in a way that's healthy, in a way that will promote our peace. Many here, right now, may feel the guilt of having strayed away from you and have believed the lie of Satan that you're the cosmic killjoy when in all truth he's the cosmic killjoy but you've given us a provision for when that's happened the book Bible says in 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sins that you're faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness right now for those believers here who've gone astray right now Father I pray that they might confess that to you so that you could remove the burden of the guilt of this sin in their life and restore them to the path of righteousness. We love you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are truth. As you said, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we keep our eyes on you always. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you put the words of that little course Jackie's playing back up? Let's stand and let's conclude our service today by singing that.